But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. I really like this passage. It really helps me to understand what the call of God is to us. And, and, and when you look at it and hear it and you go, well, you know, that, I understand all that, but there's a lot more to it. And I want to read it to you out of the amplified version. It gives a little more clarity. And it says, but to as many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the right, the authority, the privilege to become children of God. That is, to those who believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely on His name, who were born not of blood, natural conception, nor of the will of the flesh, physical impulse, nor of the will of man, that of a natural father, but of God, that is, a divine and supernatural birth. They are born of God, spiritually transformed, renewed, and sanctified. says a little bit more, doesn't it? But there's a lot more to it, and let's get into it, because uh, I want to share this message with you, and I'm really encouraged by it, and I hope you are too. Now, this week we're examining questions in the Soul Search message series, and Soul Search is a look inward today. We're going to look at ourselves and our relationship with God and how we serve and how we love. Your life will bear witness to the answers of your truth. No matter what you say you believe, what you live is truly what you believe. Wouldn't you agree with that? Because we can say something, but our actions reveal the nature of our heart. And your answers, if you answer them honestly, will draw you closer to God. And when you are willing to let God change you, that happens. Now, I've I got to tell you something. When you, when you become a Christian, you're not a finished product. You're at the beginning of a faith-based relationship with Jesus Christ. You start a process of growing and maturing. It's in the faith which continues throughout our lifetime. A lot of folks um, will tell you, well, all you got to do is become a Christian and that's all you need to do. I don't believe that and I don't think you do either. I think we know the life with Jesus is a life with Jesus, not a moment. So the day of the questions will help you look at your motives how much you trust God to take an active role in your life. And they can help you determine if you're indeed maturing through God's character in you and as you grow. So I want to start with some basic questions. Not going to go over all of them right now. Just a couple basic ones about your witness and your faith. Now notice I said your witness. That's the name of this message, your witness. So my question is, what is your testimony or your witness? That's what a witness is. What you witness of the truth of your life. When you talk about God, what do you say is the last time He showed up in an important way for you? What are your gifts? What are your talents that God's given you? Do you know what they are? Have you ever learned those or discerned those? Did you know that every person has some? And not just one, some. We all have gifts and talents that can be used for the kingdom. 
So do you use those gifts if you know what they are to benefit yourself or the kingdom? Or is it just a matter of, well, I have them and I don't even think about them. Now these kind of questions that I just asked you are going to help you determine your witness. The witness of your life. The things that you have within you that you believe about yourself that will directly affect how you talk about God. In our text today, it says, All who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Now, I'm not talking about right like the rights in our Bill of Rights and things like that. This is a different kind of word. Because in this word, it means power or authority or influence. It can also mean strength or jurisdiction. But here's the crux of it. It's a legal term. This passage talks about something that legally happens. It's a power conferred by a higher court. (laughs) In this case, it's the most high court, not just a higher court. And you've been given the authority to be a child of God. The court, the highest court in the world, in the universe, has said you are a child of God. That's no small thing. This is huge. And here's how it plays out. I want to share this little illustration with you. I really like it. Now, the day you give your life to Christ, the moment you give your life to Christ, there's a transaction going on in this heavenly court. And you're on the witness stand. And what's happening is you've been sworn in by the judge of the universe. The enemy is now questioning you. And you've confessed before God that you have sinned. And the enemy thinks this is a good thing. He rolls a tape of your life and all the times you've sinned. And been disobedient to God. And then he quotes the Bible. The enemy uses the Bible against you. Quoting Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. And looking at you, smiling, turns to the one who's going to defend you and says, It's your witness now. I've proven They're deserving of death. And our attorney, our defense, after he hears your witness, looks at the prosecutor gloating at his obvious win. It's a victorious juggernaut. The Bible says it. It's true. Sin. Death. End of story. It's what it says. And... Without Christ, you got to admit, that is bottom line, end of story. And so, your attorney asks you if what you said about being sinful is true. And under your breath, angrily, you mutter, Yes! Why are you embarrassing me about my sinful past and nature? I already know who I am. Why do you want to do this? And you just say, Yes, it's true. And he shows a video of the moment just before this court convened that you accepted Jesus Christ. And he says to you, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And have you exchanged your will and agenda for his? Does he now run your life? And you respond, yes, I have. I just did that. And you're wondering how that makes a difference since you're obviously guilty. You've done what you've done. 
In that moment, your attorney says, Judge, I have no further questions. Your life hangs in the balance on what that judge does with those presentations. There's sin and there's an acceptance of Jesus Christ. The judge bangs down the gavel and says, The evidence is overwhelmingly clear. I see no reason for any jury to make a decision. He opens up to Isaiah 118 and reads, Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make you white as snow. And then he reads from Hebrews 8.12, Your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. And looking at you, he says, By the power of the Most High God, who I am, I pronounce and exalt you as a child of God, born anew by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've died and you're resurrected into the life of Christ. Your old life is over. Set free. Guiltless. Redeemed. No charges against you. But as you leave the courtroom, the prosecuting attorney smiles at you, winks at you and says, he forgot your sin. Lucky you. Sounds like a license to do whatever you want to do. So go have some fun. Isn't that what the enemy says? Tells you, do whatever you want. Sin much so you can be forgiven a bunch more later. Well, in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it doesn't just say you become a child of God and now you do what you want. When it says to receive him, when it says we've received him to believe into him, it's an act of changing your life to line up with a new reality. You can't believe into something with all you are and be the same because there's a change. So Jesus becomes your priority the moment you believe in Him and live for Him. Your agenda becomes His agenda. I like to say it like this. Some folks say, it's hard for me to determine God's will. You ever heard that? What's the will of God for me? I sometimes use the word agenda instead of will because it makes more sense. I can handle that word better. What is God's agenda? What's He want me to do? What's on His list for me today? Not what's his will, but what does he want me to be doing? I kind of like the word agenda because then I can get rid of my own personal agenda and all the things I'm telling God I need to do and ask him what he wants me to do. So I say, God, what's your agenda for me today? And that's what we do. We switch our own agendas and plans for his, even though we may not know what they are. So whose agenda now runs our life? Ours or God's? That's a good question. If you're born of God, this scripture said it's not through your own doing. It says it's born not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, not of blood either. And and that's really important because when John says that, he's talking to a group of people who are socially connected by their birthright, by their family, by their status, in the community. And yet here he's saying none of that matters. You can't look at that and say 
that you belong to God because of who you were born into, whose family. Your earthly family is not going to get you redeemed. There is no grandchildren in the kingdom of heaven. Did you know that? There's only children. So we all have to believe for ourselves. We all have to receive Christ and live for Him ourselves. Our parents can't do it for us. And we can't ride into the kingdom of God on their coattails. However, godly parenting sure can get us closer. So when Christ comes, our old patterns will change. All things will become new. It's a fresh start so you can live for God by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not a clean slate for your own ambitions. Please understand that. And these things aren't lived out by your own effort. It's with God living inside you to help you and empower you to be His child. Because we, we didn't know how to do that before Christ. I don't even think we wanted to. We rebelled by our sinful nature. So the world's going to challenge your faith. Every time. And its way of thinking and living and its motives are clearly self-focused. And it's going to try and get you to go back to that. Think about you. Big number one. You're number one. It matters what you think, what you do, how you feel, how you smell, how you act, what you think. All these things. This is what your intention for life should be. Think about you. It has a witness of human reasoning. It makes sense on one level. And it's tempting. But it's not godly. I just want you to know that ahead of time. I think you do know that. If you lived any any time after you gave your life to Christ, this world's going to tell you, ah, it didn't happen. Your doubts will come in. Now, I was saying a few minutes ago that their social identity was strong then. That their place in birthright and in the community mattered. And it's strong for us too. Now, different than them, but not much so. Because our family or our wealth or our fame, and if we're related or connected to somebody great or greatness, people see us differently. We just look at people who have things that we don't have and we say, well, they must really be doing something right. Well, it could be the world's blessing them with the wrong things. It could be. But if that's the intent of our life is to be that way and connected that way, at the end of our life, we're not going to be too happy because all we have is things and connections to people and places, but nothing connecting us to our kingdom of God. We appear important when we're properly connected to the right people. I I used to like to name drop I don't do that much anymore. I don't even talk about my own self that way because it makes me uncomfortable. I'd rather people know me by what I do, by what I say, by the witness of my life. Maybe you understand what I'm saying there. But i got to tell you, we sometimes have inner toil and we feel not accepted because of a disconnect in our character or when we're connected to the wrong things the wrong way. And, and we, we are not connected to God. So when we put fame or connection or family ahead of our relationship with Jesus Christ, inside there's a disconnect in our faith. And it makes us have doubt and fear. 
So the questions about our faith are simple ones, but also important. So how do you serve? What's your motive for serving? Do you help others to look good? Or do you do it because you care? How strong is your faith? Do you talk about Jesus only in safe settings? Or do you do it when it makes you uncomfortable and others may be offended? How willing are you to share what God's doing for you now? Are you waiting until somebody asks? Or are you looking for opportunity? Is there anything recent in the story of God and you? A lot of people, when they're asked for their testimony, they talk about the day they were born again. But that might have been 10 years ago or more. What's He done lately? How's God real for you today? Those are the stories that really touch people's lives. So is your story of your conversion? Or is it of what God's doing for you now? Because I don't know about you, but I like telling people what God's doing now. That's what I'm really excited about because the story of my conversion is good. But after they've heard that, they'd like to know something different than that one. Because there's more to the story than just that moment. And your life, what do you want to accomplish? What are your dreams, your hopes? And what cost do you have to pay to get those? And what are you already doing to make those dreams and hopes a reality? Are they lined up with the kingdom of God? You see, these questions help us think about ourselves, our motives, what we want. Because there's going to be a second day in that high court. But this time, it won't be immediately after you gave your life to Christ. It's going to be at the end of your life. And one of two scenarios is going to play out. In the first one, the judge shows the video of your life. Each scene, you'll see yourself in your best moments, and yet you're still acting in your own selfish interests. And it's very clear that there's gain in every good you did for you. And every time you show care, you did it because of what brought you in return. The judge is going to look at you. And it's what he's going to say. I see your character my son tried to redeem you from. I do not see the character of a child of God in you. What I conferred on you was not respected nor cultivated when I gave you the right to be my child. All you had to do was ask for my help and I would have gladly done so. Is this the story you want told of who you are and who you've become since knowing Jesus Christ? Or is the second scenario more appealing to you? It's similar, except you see your care, compassion, and love for others has matured over time, becoming less and less self-focused and more sacrificial. You become more gracious and kind-hearted as you grew older and as you matured and wiser in the faith. And the judge is going to look at you and he's going to say this instead of the other. He's going to say, I do not see you when I look at you. I see the character of my son. I see my son when I look at you. That is who I called you to be. That's the right I gave you. And you took it and gave thanks and lived it. Enter my beloved child into your rest.
referring to the prosecutor now standing by saying, you ordered to cease and desist all actions in their life. You're done. And you're defeated. You see, we're inseparable from the imminence of the kingdom of God when we belong to Him. When God confers on us the right, the privilege to be His child, He draws His kingdom into us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And every time we act like a child of God, the kingdom of God is present. Jesus Christ said, the kingdom of God is within you. It's among you. It's a part of you. And that's what he's talking about. So when you become a citizen and a child of God, the kingdom of God is a part of who you are and your nature. So you'll never be at a place where the kingdom of God isn't because it's within. And so the question that comes to my mind this morning as we think about what God has done for us through His beloved Son, is what vision of our end of our life do we want to live out before we get there? The questions that I've posed for you, both during the message and in the bulletin, will help you to talk about that, to think about that, to check the motives of your heart, to see if you're godly in your intent or self-nature focused. I pray for each one of us that we can grow and build and establish the kingdom of God where we are here. Because for the best way I can say this and the joyful way I can say this, God's going to ask us, what's your witness? And the vision of your life is your witness. And God can raise that to a godly vision, living out the gospel message by loving and serving others with sacrificial love, with care and compassion, that he will help us do that. He has not restricted us, but has set us free to live out a godly life, which we couldn't do without him. And we couldn't make it happen. We couldn't do it by our own effort, as John says, and there was no possible way our birth order made a difference either. It's all done by grace, through faith, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with me in that? And if that's the case, then living out our lives in thankful, gracious action should be our response. May we pray together that we are seeking ways to serve and love where we are. That's all He's ever asked us to do. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word, for Your promise, for Your grace, for the witness that You place within us, that Your Holy Spirit is Your witness to us of a life that belongs to You. And I pray, Heavenly Father, as we consider who we are, what our lives stand for, that we would also find peace in You, strength in You, and encouragement. May we encourage each other to establish and build and grow and live forth your gospel. Heavenly Father, it's what you desire for us. It's what you built us for. Help us to live that out day by day. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.